0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. Man, it is my privilege to be spending time with you guys today on Palm Sunday. My name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. I'm excited to jump into God's word with you guys. I was out last week. My friend Garrison came and led. But man, every time I'm not here, you know where I wish I was? Here. And it's a privilege to be back. Well, y'all, I want to start with an, an idea this morning. Before I do that. Anybody here sincerely, sincerely like going camping? Anybody? Okay. All right. I love that. Hey, respect to that. That was one. Of the, yeah. A couple of people are like, mm-mm. What are we talking here? Is this like two-star hotel instead of four-star? Where are we going on camping? No, but all that to say, so my wife and I, we went away. We went with some friends to Dallas last week. And then after that, we decided, hey, let's take a long weekend and make a little vacation out of it. So we decided to go camping. Now, she's never been camping in her life. Now, now she's tough, but it's one of those, she's also sweet and tender. So because of that, she came to me right before, and she's a a great wife. She wants to set me up for success. And she says, okay, John, there's two things you got to know going into this. She literally said this straight up. I have to eat good, eat well, my bad. I have to eat well, and I must be comfortable, Right? And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, this is camping. It's kind of like you go for the experience of not having that. So when you come back under this guise of, oh, I was in nature. It was beautiful. So when you come back, you're like, oh, man, thank God for plumbing. Right? <laughs> so immediately, like, the cards are stacked against me. But, man, I'm excited. Like, camping is one of those things. Okay, as I think about future and vacations, I kind of got to make this work. So immediately, man, I just start problem-solving my mind. I'm doing research to where we go, and immediately I decide, okay, it's definitely car camping, right? And has anyone here ever heard of glamping? Yeah, okay, heads are nodding, right? Basically, I'm like, okay, I, I need to lead us in being all-star glampers. That's the direction I need to take our family. So, man, I start thinking through everything. To where we go, a friend of mine, he has a tent. You might be thinking, well, it's just John and his wife, so this two-person tent. Have you ever seen a two-person tent? They're like, I'm surprisingly small. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want a two-person tent. Where's an eight-person tent? (laughs) Right? I want some space. I want her to be comfortable. I want her to stretch out. How do we do this? So we go, we get an eight-person tent. Then i got to think through sleeping. Right, so when we got, we got married as part of our registry, we registered for these kind of like backpacking, um, thin sleeping mattresses. Well, I'm literally grabbing those out of the closet, and I'm like, mm-mm, that ain't going to work. <laughs> right, throwing that aside. We bought, when we first got married, a queen-size air mattress. I'm not kidding, it's this thick, with a Tempur-Pedic topper. And I'm like throwing it in the car, man. That's coming to you. I have an extension cord. I have a plug into the cigarette outlighter to where I can plug it in. And then all of a sudden in my massive castle of a tent, I can get a queen-size bed going, Tempur-Pedic topper, we go. I bought a cooking stove, y'all. I think it was 100 bucks. And I didn't even buy the base model. I got the good model. Why? I got stainless steel pots and pans. We got a cooler. We stopped at the grocery store right before. And I'm like, what food do you want? Because when you're camping, you usually don't have all that much stuff to do, especially if you don't like hiking. I don't really like hiking. So I was like, I'll cook. <laughs> like, what do you want? So we stock this, man. We have the tent. We have the bed. Like she says, I, I got to be comfortable. So I go and we buy these like hanging fans to where I can put them anywhere, to where like if she's hot at night, I can just have this nice cool breeze that just like glows on her. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, okay, one more thing. What if she gets bored? which is half the grace of camping. What if she gets bored? I literally downloaded five movies to my iPad, like 10 episodes of television addition to that. Like you couldn't even watch this much entertainment if you wanted to. But I'm like, hey, if we go out in the middle of the woods where you're going to get away from technology and electronics, what if she wants technology and electronics? I got to take that with me. Like, I got to be ready. To where, man, I have this whole thing planned. We're going to Broken Bow, Oklahoma. You've never been. It's beautiful. Beer Bend State Park. Hey, where's a primitive campsite? Well, we get ready to leave. It's Friday. We hit the road. It's about three hours north of Dallas. We were in Dallas at the time. We start driving. We got out a little bit later than expected. Got to the campsite. It's about 8 o'clock at night. So it's dark. Anybody who goes camping and you're trying to set a good first impression you don't want to set up camp in the dark. And then I'm trying to think, okay, how do I get as far away from people as possible? Yet camping's kind of popular now. Didn't really know all that. So there's people everywhere. So I'm trying to find this one spot, this secluded or more secluded, I should say, spot. Literally, the way you start, you can't park the car right beside the tent. I'm not kidding, y'all. There is a solid 40-foot straight drop through leaves and this what was then dry mud. Right, straight down to the tent to where we go. So I tell Taylor, she stays up there at the car getting everything ready. I carry down this tent. It's me with this flashlight out in the woods setting up this eight person tent. Feel, you ever built something from Ikea where by the end of it you just want to break it? Now it wasn't my tent, so I couldn't do that, right? And I need a place to sleep. But there I am trying to set this thing up in the dark. I finally get it, like literally sweating, carrying stuff up and down, trying to make it comfortable. Hey, sweetie, you want something to drink? You hungry? Can I get you some food? Where do we get in this tent? Problem number one my extension cord. <laughs> Dude, I needed like a 150 foot extension cord. I have like 30 feet. So immediately I'm like problem solving, like, Dear Lord Jesus, deliver us from evil. You know? To where I'm plugging in this cord. It's not working. I'm trying to think, okay, what if I filled it up here and then I carried it down? But the entrance to a tent, like a queen-size mattress, is like this thick. It's not going to fit through that. So immediately I'm like, hey, sweetie, I'm just gonna, we're just going to try something. Thank God I threw those things we got for our wedding into the car. To where we at least had this thin layer. We go and we're in, it, we're in the tent. We're getting settled, having fun, ate a little food. We start watching a show. She's set up. She's got this sleeping bag, and I have a, a sleeping bag. that's just a, a blanket with a zipper, right? Because that day, man, it had like 85 degrees. And if you know if I'm talking about temperature, you already know where this is going. To where at that point, man, I've got the fan set up. It was blowing air on me, but it's starting to get a little cooler. You know, it's dark. It's heading towards, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. Turn off the fan. I'm in my sleeping bag. She and I, we had to sleep. I wake up. I am cold I'm talking about like real <laughs> cold to where I lean over and all of a sudden I hear this rustling and when you're in a tent when one person moves everybody's up right and I, I just lean over and I say hey Tay yeah and I was like are, are you cold and he just like yes <laughs> and she's just like chattering she's over there in this sleeping bag that's meant to go to 40 degrees and man we're in Oklahoma I'm sitting here thinking of course 40 degrees like she's gonna be sweating she'll be fine No, freezing cold. She's adding layers, like we're putting rain jackets on. I'm wrapping stuff around my feet, right? You got to remember, eat well. So far, we've eaten, right? And then comfortable. Okay, not doing too well on that one. To our even me, I am cold. I ask her, what time is it? Because when you wake up, if you go camping, you typically don't sleep well. It's like the one time in your life you look forward to dawn. Does that make sense? And I ask her, what time is it? And she says, 1.30 Literally, oh, sweet Jesus, is what I said in the middle of Oklahoma. So, man, we get through the night. Like, literally, we kept waking up every 30 minutes. It's kind of funny to think back now, and you get the memory. You laugh, but cold. Next day comes. That morning, we go to cook. I don't cook it right. It doesn't come out right. There was conflict. We resolved it. We moved on, right? But then we go, and I'm like, okay, I got to bring clarity to this problem. We load back up in the car right we set the tent up we get everything kind of packed away right but we want to let it vent a little so we left some vents open and we drive got a 30-minute trek to Walmart where I'm going to go and I'm going to buy my wife a 10-degree sleeping bag like she's going to sweat you know and then I'm going to get a massive extension cord to where there will be no problems when we take this trip go to Walmart all of a sudden the the sky starts getting dark right starts getting dark and all of a sudden you're like man I really hope Because this tent, we'd set up the rain flat, Like you put like a rain tarp over it. We'd set all that up. But man, I really hope everything's going to be fine. Well, man, time goes by. We come back and I'm up at the car because we got all this stuff. So I'm grabbing it, trying to plug in the electric cord. She goes down this this height to the tent. That's now a 30-foot descent through mud. Right? She takes it. She gets to the tent and you just hear this, John. (laughs) And immediately I was like, oh, no. And I asked her, what is it? She says, it's better that you just come look. Right? I go in, man, tent is close to flooded. Literally, all our stuff is still hanging out to dry in our backyard right now from it. The whole thing. To where I come and I look at this and there's tent that's falling in random places. To where it's not even around the outside edge. It's like in the middle of the tent to where, no disrespect to the guy who loaned me the tent, I think your tent's broken and I didn't do it. To where it's like dripping, and it's gonna keep leaking, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, I've got to find a solution to this. Invested time, energy, and money. Thank God we bought a bunch of trash bags. Literally took everything that was wet, threw it in a trash bag, threw it all in the back of a car, soaking wet, loaded up, and spent a night for $85 at Comfort Suites in Idabel, <laughs> Oklahoma. That's called leadership, y'all. That's love your wife as Christ loved the church literally man and it was uh, it was terrible and it was great what I mean by that is I'm driving there and I'm frustrated I wanted this whole thing to work we've invested in all this stuff to try to make it work I wanted it to go well you want to be this great first impression and we're driving to comfort suites literally the the sign on the front and it, and it was great if you ever an eye bell stop at comfort suites but it's broken and you're like oh man like this this isn't great We get there right before, and my wife, as we're driving, she just turns and says, man, I wonder what God's up to. I wonder what God's doing. Like, he knew, like, our plans the entire time. Like, he knew what we wanted. Like, I'd done all these steps, taken all these precautions, all these different things, and there's this total another direction this thing's working out. She says, man, I wonder what God is up to. And the whole time, I'm just angry. Right? I wasn't feeling all that well at that point. I'm frustrated. She goes to pick up dinner. Right? I go inside to check in the hotel, try to get our room, grab the key, just go up. Here's what I know. That evening at the comfort suites in Idabel, I sat there eating Italian takeout with my wife on a surprisingly comfortable bed, watching TV with her in the warmth, and the quiet. It was tremendously peaceful to where this past week, I was hanging out with my community group, and they said, man, what was the highlight of camping? And it was with sincerity, Comfort Suites in Audubon, Oklahoma, man, right? <laughs> Will we go camping again? Please, God, pray for us. I got to make it work. If anyone has a great tent they're looking to sell, I'm in the market. But it was one of those, we had a great plan, but it wasn't how it worked out. It wasn't how it was set to go. And my wife, man, in their faithfulness in a way, I wasn't even thinking about it. She says, I wonder what God is up to. The, the reason I start with that is because when I think about that in my own life, there's often so many different areas where, man, I have these plans, these expectations, these strong hopes. Hey, here's what it's supposed to be. Then life comes and it takes it a whole nother Direction where immediately I'm like, no, 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 God, I don't, I don't think you get this, man. No, God, I'm trying to be a good steward of finances, so I need her to get into camping because then we can still take a ton of vacations and we can kind of be that family. No, God, there's this like realization, you're kind of missing it, can you help me here? In reality, the whole time God's saying, hey, man, you have your plans, but I have my will. Enjoy Comfort Suites in Annabelle, Oklahoma. And that was a great opportunity It was a great time, but there's many times in my life I get caught up in, wait, God, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what's supposed to happen. My job's supposed to look like this. My marriage should be this. I'm supposed to be married by this time. By this age, I should have this many kids. Hey, God, that retirement account, you know how hard I've been working. It's not as big as it should be. Hey, my my community group, God, I, I don't know if I really like them, I I mean, they're great and all, but personalities, we just don't mesh. I think I'm going to find another, God, that's not my plan. But then there's God's path, there's God's will. And what do we do when his will is different than our plans? So today we're going to talk about how do we trust God's will, not our plans. I, I think this matters so much, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, Because so many of us, especially in American culture, you get caught up in this uh, rat race, you could say. And we've talked on this before, but it's this idea of almost this this expectation. Hey, i got to go to school so I can get good grades, so I can get a job, so I can find find a wife, so I can find a husband, so I can have kids. So those kids can go to school, so they can get good grades, so they can get a job, so they can find a wife, Right? find a husband, so then they can have kids, so those kids can then go to school to get good grades. And we're just caught up on this continual cycle where we have these built-in presumptions of, well, God, I really need to be married by 23 because I'd like to have four kids by 30. Oh, hey, hey, God, really, right now, I know there's like a, a surprise baby, and here I am, late 30s, early 40s. God, that's not my plan. Hey, God, here I am, and I'm in my 50s. And when I look at my my net worth, my retirement, there's not enough zeros, God. You seen how hard I worked? Have you seen everything I've done? Hey, God, do you see how hard I labor with my kids? It's not going my way. It's not going according to my plan. And we get caught up in that. If you're here and and you don't have to believe in God or you like wrestle with the whole thing and, and because it's Easter, you're like, man, somebody dragged you out of a guilt trip and you're just checking it out. Let me share with you how, even in my life, before I was a follower of Jesus, this happened to me. Right, there's this famous saying, many of you may have heard it. It's by a guy, Alexander Pope. He's a famous poet. Blessed is he who expects for nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. It's just the reality that in my life, with or without God, some of my greatest disappointments came on the tails of my greatest expectations. Now, expectations aren't, aren't inherently wrong, but what we'll see today is there's this presumption behind it. When there is this arrogance and a self-assurance that what we want, we will, will. And so that's where, as you come today, one of the greatest gifts in life is when you get out of your own way with expectations. And what I'm going to put before you, when you shift to instead say, hey God, would you help me to love your will help me to make plans plans aren't inherently wrong there's nothing wrong with going and preparing for a backpacking trip having a thoughtfulness about a retirement a job a kid a a family strategy a discipleship plan a community group that you hope there's nothing inherently wrong with that but what's wrong is when you cling to that when god says we're going to turn well god says we're going to go another way so where are we going to see this where where are we going to learn we trust god's will not our plan Coming out of James, the very end, James chapter 4. We're looking at verses 13 through 17, where the first theme we're going to see is the brokenness that happens when presuming God's will. How instead we're called entrusting God's will. And the final thing we'll look at, what does it mean when we deny God's will? If you're new with us for the first time, we've been working our way through the book of James James is it's a letter written by Jesus' younger half-brother. The whole theme of it is, hey, those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ be doers of God's word. What, what that means is if you claim this faith, live this faith. And he's writing this whole theme. And in chapter 4, he's done this amazing job where he set up this section where he's really addressing what, like in the margins of your Bible, it may say worldliness. Right? but there's this core theme that in my heart and in your heart is always in competition. God's will, my will, your will be done. How do we fight for that? And how so many of us, especially when it comes to faith, we categorize it. Like we come on Sundays or we say it, and Easter to us is, yes, it's a nice day, but really, man, it's a family gathering where afterwards we're just gonna have a great meal and the kids are gonna do an Easter egg hunt But the spiritual reality of God himself dying for our sins, coming back from the grave, barely pierces the shallowness of the soul. Verses. I don't want categorized faith. I want all in. I don't want one foot planted in this life. What I want and another foot planted, and I know I'm supposed to do what God wants, but in reality, I'm going to go my way. James, he's just doubling down on this theme where, again, he's gonna say, trust God's will, not my plans, not your plans. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter four, verses 13 through 17. If you got an iPhone, pull that out. You can read along. I'm gonna read through the entire section, and then we're gonna come back and work at it from the start. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. I'm going to circle back up, and our first theme, I'm going to pull out verses 13, and then we're going to jump a little ahead in 16, because James, he's kind of coming bookends on the same section. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's verse 13. Jump it down to 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance all. Such boasting is evil. Today, as we talk about how we trust God's will, not our plan, the first theme that James is really gonna go on is the tragedy that takes place in my heart, the sinfulness that takes place in your heart when we presume God's will. Presume God's will. Here's what it means to presume, to expect something with, with a sense of arrogant, Confidence, like, like especially in a spiritual term. Here's the way that I'd put it. Self-assurance, I got me, versus God dependence. Reliance on Christ, reliance on me. Hey, it is, it is my plan, God, and don't you dare change it. We would never talk that way to God. Like, like rarely I meet someone who'd say, no, man, this is the way it's got to go, God. Don't you dare touch it. We wouldn't say that, but man, do we feel that, and when he turns it, man, do we have this sense of how could you, to where we don't embrace the turn. We're frustrated with him because the turn was not what we expected. James starts it with "Hey, come now. He's just doing what any good teacher does right at the beginning. He said, hey, hey, listen in, guys. This matters, especially as he puts this concluding theme on this section. You who say he's setting up this like hypothetical discussion where he's talking about a group of folks and in the next verse you'll see he's likely referencing here new uh christian jews who'd been scattered due to persecution but they were merchants part of a merchant class to go and trade and for them really when it came to presuming god's will there was a tremendous financial outflow of that he outlines it there where he says he, he breaks it up into three categories The person there, he says, Hey, today or tomorrow we will go. They start talking about their schedule. Hey, here's where I'm going. Here's when I'm going. And then they say, And then I'm going to spend a year there. Here's how long I'm going to be there. And then once I get there, man, I'm going to trade. And you see this progression each one. And then I'm going to trade. And then I'm going to make a profit. You know what God has nothing wrong with? A plan where you say, I'm going to go there. You know what God has nothing wrong with? A plan where you say, Hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to trade. I'm going to do business. God has nothing wrong with it. If you're a business owner, you wanna work hard to where you make a profit. But right here, what James is saying is you who say. It's the heart that says, hey man, I'm gonna tip my hat to God, but the rest of life, hey God, I will impose my will, my plan, not yours. Verse 16 is where he's kind of summarizing the heart and soul of this, where he's saying, you boast, like you brag in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Why why is this arrogant? When you and I come before God and we say, hey, here's what's gonna happen in the future. Here's what I'm gonna do, here's who I'm gonna become, here's how many kids I'm gonna have, here's what my family's gonna look like, my husband, here's by the time I'm gonna be married, here's how many, how, how many zeros in the bank account I'm gonna have, here's all my friends in the social group, and I'm gonna have those friends and these friends, and hey, my family won't get sick. My family won't get the phone call from the physician where the physician's tone, immediately you know something is wrong and they speak with direct clarity. Because there's no other way to give tremendously tragic news. That won't happen to my family, and if it does, hey, God will heal my family. His will would never be the pain. Arrogance comes in in two ways. We're not God, so because we're not God, we we can't see the future. We also cannot control the future. The thought that you and I have control over that, it's an illusion. So many folks, especially in my life, man, control. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a problem with control. Some of you, it's a serious control. To where so many things in your life, you want it to go your way. And your way might even be a better way. But when your way doesn't happen, man, does it just irk you. Man, do all of a sudden, the fruits of the Spirit start to go out the window, but when it's your way, man, you are peaceful, you are graceful, you are gentle. You you can't control today. Does that mean that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't work and create plans and, and do things? No. No. That would be foolishness, and that would be overdoing what James is saying. We strive for godliness, and we always trust God if he changes the plan. You and I can't control tomorrow. We don't have the power. God has the power. So what does that look like for us? James, again, he's speaking with, with finances. So while this is true to finances, this is also true to a lot of other things. Faithfulness in God is not demonstrated through your bank account. If you are wealthy, it likely has nothing to do with any sense of godliness in you. If you are poor, it may, I'll say this, it may or may not, in the same way with the wealthy, it may or may not have nothing to do with any godliness within you. Are there principles that the godly walk by in terms of stewardship that brings a sense of provision where where the prudent, they see danger coming, they hide themselves. The simple go on, they suffer for it. How does the ant store up in winter for the extended time? yes. The scripture say, hey, borrow a slave to the lender. Owe nothing to anyone except honor. Does the Bible speak to the stewardship of resources? Yes. But man, you are foolish in your life. I am foolish in my life. If I ever try to put God in a corner and say, hey, here's what will happen. Here's what this will look like. Here will be the income. By this time, I'll be a senior VP. By this time, I'll own my own practice. By this time, my husband will have done this well to where I can step out of work and finally be at home with the kids. I pray you can. Provision in the role that we are called to as Christians often, often does not include overwhelming wealth. There's two warnings in scripture. It's to the rich and to the poor. To the rich because they forget to depend on God. To the poor because they curse God for the poverty. Church, we don't put God in a box like that. In the same way, we don't come and say, hey God, I know it's your will, but really, man, my plans. I know I lay it all down, but when it turns, man, it's going to break my heart, and I'm going to throw my own version of a worldly hissy fit as a grown adult as I rage against you, but I try to keep it nice, calm, and peaceful. That's not us. We don't presume God's will. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Man, I think Jesus, right there in Matthew 6, we're not going to turn there. In in his prayer, his modeled prayer for you and I, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a daily cry of a Christian that just says, God, would you help me to love your will? When you turn, may I turn? Yes, I have hopes, and there's nothing wrong with that. But man, I lay everything down because where you want me is where I want to be. Would you help me to trust you? I think another way that you do that, it's what my wife did when we were driving to that hotel, she, by the power of the Holy Spirit, turned and said, man, why do you think God's doing this? With this like optimism, where there's this hopefulness to where as I was even preparing for this talk this week, I have no idea why I enjoyed that night with her that much, but the twinge that comes back into my heart is when we're pulling up there, my wife, she goes to get uh, some food down the street and sincerely, I was not feeling well. I was going to the room And there was this gal there who who was checking me in and you could tell she was new or the fact it was an Ida Bell, this doesn't happen all that often. And man, it was taking forever. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking to myself, please give me the key. Please give me the key. Please give me the key. Dude, people who embrace God's will sit there and say, yeah, God, man, I don't feel great. So you gotta take care of that. And this isn't going as I planned. But you know what? You got me here and I'm hanging out. I should have leaned over that counter and said to that sweet young gal, hey man, I know this may sound strange, but do you, do you happen to have a faith, spirituality, belief system? Here's where I just came from. Here's one of the things that changed my life years ago. And you begin to steward the moments differently. You steward it differently. And then the final way I think we do this is, man, is we trust, especially when it doesn't go our way especially when it doesn't go our way. My daughter, Lily, she's just a little over two, we love going driving. Like, she loves going for rides. Like, seriously, it's one of the main fits that she'll throw. Is like, driving? Daddy's car? Daddy's car? And then she'll say, reindeer? Because we, we live kind of over by the high school, if you're familiar with that here in New Braunfels, over by the high school to where there's um, kind of deer everywhere consistently. And then back at Christmas time, I just started calling them all reindeer, all that kind of stuff. So now she wants to go look at reindeer consistently to where if you're up there, we are out hunting reindeer. And when I say my daughter Lily and I love to go drive, I think some of you think what wisdom and great parenting would be, right? Like I roll down the window, she's in her car seat in the back, completely buckled in. Like some of you've seen this. No, like she's sitting like right in the middle of my lap helping me drive. Now, if you're worried, it's tucked off. There's smaller roads. We avoid major things. We go really slow, but it's definitely like every time my parents call and I'm in there, they're like, John, this is bad parenting, right? We love you. What are you doing, son? You got to hang up. And I'm like, I know, I know. But she loves it. It makes me the cool dad. So all that. You can come and and rebuke me later. But I'll say she sits in my lap and we drive. And what I mean by this, she literally helps me drive. For a two-year-old, she is amazingly good at staying in a straight line, honestly. But it's one of those things where she's driving, and she's sitting in my lap, and she's not very big or very strong. But all of a sudden, men will be driving, and she'll take the wheel, and it'll just be like a mailbox. And it's like the mailbox is like right there. Or she'll just turn, and she'll be like, bush, and she'll just turn it towards the bush. And I'm like, that's terrible driving. And then I'll grab the wheel, I'll I'll make it straight again. She'll get upset and she'll want to turn. And I'll say, no, you can trust me. And we keep driving. Or we'll come to like a turning intersection because I've done this enough to where I know, okay, that's a pretty major road. When I say major, like speed limit's 20 rather than 15. All right, so hey, that's a major road. I can't turn left, we gotta turn right. But Lily, even at two, she's learning left and right. And she's too small to like turn the wheel the whole way. But we'll come to a stop and she'll go, left, daddy, left, right? And she'll yank the wheel left and I take that wheel and I turn it right. And she starts to throw a fit. Why? Because she's two. Starts to throw a fit. Left, daddy, left. Lily has an illusion that she controls the direction of where we go. I control that. Do I take into consideration if she wants to turn left, it's a safe road? yes. But if it's not, what do I do? I yank that wheel right. I use that to share so many of us. We have the same illusion in our life. We're like two year olds behind the wheel with God there. With this sense of, no, no, I control, I control. My husband must be like this. My wife should talk to me like that. Like my kids. They'll grow to love you by this age. I'll be married by this time. I'll have this many kids. My adoption process will be smooth. I won't get the terminal illness. I won't get the tragic phone call. God, I know there's your will, but man, we got my plans. Church, we trust his will, not our plans. And we do not presume we do not presume. We are Christ-dependent, not self-dependent. So let's see, where do we go from here? Let, let's jump back in the text. We're gonna pick it up in verse 14. Back into it, verse, verse 14. And this is where James, he, he's switching the tone where he says, yet you, he's talking to you and me, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. No one here is a fortune teller. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So as we look at, man, we trust God's will, not our plan. The way we do that is in trusting God's will. And one way that occurs in the heart of a Christian is is developing and understanding an eternal perspective right James he starts out there yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring we can hope we can plan we can ask we can pray yet we are not in control of tomorrow Proverbs sixteen nine: the heart of man plans his way there's nothing wrong with planning but the Lord establishes his steps Peter Drucker he's a famous kind of leadership guru some of you may have heard of him he has this phrase that I've always appreciated Planning is essential. Plans are useless. Planning is essential. Plans are useless. Man, he's just ripping off the narrative of the Bible. Right, God loves a heart that plans and prays and asks and entrusts and is thoughtful, is a good steward. If you go to see someone build a barn, do they not store up little by little? Where there is no vision, the people perish, direction, future, all that's good. But when we take that and we cling to that, and it's our plan, not his will, that's where we find ourselves in trouble with a God who establishes. Proverbs 16, the lot, the lot, it's just talking about dice. Next time you lose a dice game, remember this verse. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Our control, our plan, there's nothing wrong, but Us exerting and imposing our will on it. It's a myth. There's this new thing in sports, especially that I've seen if you watch any sports documentaries. Athletes will talk about when they go to compete, and especially whether it's a team sport, there's a guy lining up across them or same person in the same position. There's this language, man, go and impose your will. It's the reality of, hey, when you and I come together at the end of this, my job is I will impose my will over you. Man, what I'm telling you is that as anti-Christian in the realm of the way you pursue godliness? It's not about our will. We surrendered that. He died for that because our will often leads us to very broken and dangerous places that come with scars. And he's a good father who, when we turn towards the mailbox man, he sets it straight. He goes on, "What is your life? You're a mist that appears." For a little time and then vanishes. Vanishes here, the Christian. Death is not the end of us, it's the beginning, it's the jumping off point. Vanishes, though, it means ceasing to exist. He's talking about, man, you're gone. He uses a mist. He's talking like a vapor. I can remember when I was setting up camp with my wife there in Oklahoma. I'm walking up and down this, it started to get sweaty, and I could see my breath. When was the last time you could see your breath? Remember that, that, that mist that forms? That's all we are, and he loves us, he cherishes us, he's says steward it well, but you wanna realize all we are? We are a mist, he says it's a little time. A little time is this life, and here's what's amazing, a little time, especially preceding death, we don't always know how little a little is. A little can be the loss of a loved one in the womb. A little can be burying infants. Little, be, little can be burying teenagers who at that point have this potential and this promise and this hope to young adults who before we get to walk them down the aisle, that's what a little time can be, all the way to young parents whose children recently been born, yet mom or dad or both passes and children become orphans all the way to 50s life is going well it's easy and then you go to the doctor because something just didn't seem quite right and you thought it was a common cold and then all of a sudden you realize no man this is tragic to then the privilege of living a long life well aged and hospice being brought in you have no idea how long a little time is but everything in perspective of eternity is little. We vanish. We trust God's will as we develop this eternal perspective. He goes on to say, you ought to say, I love the word ought in your Bible, because every follower of Jesus Christ, there's this internal, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sense of oughtness. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. What I love that man is, hey, I have plans, God acknowledges my plans, but his will trumps. So when he trumps, I follow. I think so many of us, especially in the church world, we say like Lord willing, it's like this um, superstitious, lucky charm, rabbit's foot, versus a death grip on the reality of your will be done. There's this famous poem that I've always appreciated. It's called Invictus. It's by a guy by the name of William Ernest Henley. Many of you may have heard it. Invictus, it's Latin for unconquerable. Final stanza of this poem, the poet, when he wrote it, it was in reflection. He just had his leg amputated. The final stanza of this poem is talking about his perception of his will and his ability to conquer and to overcome. Come. He starts out with religious language, but then you really see his view of how he exercises his will and not trusting in God's. He says in Invictus in the final section, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Church, you are not the master of your fate. Church, you are not the captain of your soul. God in heaven sovereignly oversees you, and you have been come and you have been sent to work. Death is no accident, death is a divine appointment. So, why is James talking about trusting God's will with this sense of like morbidity to it? Because when you and I begin to grasp and to understand an eternal perspective, it changes the way we view this life. I can remember, I watched a pastor demonstrate this once in a way that I've always appreciated ever since. He grabbed a rope, right, and he pulled this rope up on stage. And if you can see it, this rope is meant to demonstrate this life, where at the end of this, you have this small black piece. That's gonna symbolically represent our life. And then you have this continuation off into eternity, except this rope ends in my friend Jimmy holding it really tight. Does that make sense? But just go with me on the visual, where you and I come, being vapors, being mist. We have this, and I, I literally had to make this like two inches, because what it should really represent is something so small, you can't even see it, but then you wouldn't be able to see it, and the illusion would be that much more difficult, right? But we come, and with all of that ahead of us, All of that's been purchased for us. All of this, he wants to give us the inheritance of the king. And we come and we trifle. We're depressed. We're anxious. I got to be married. I got to have kids by this time. It's got to be this job. This job, God. I'm not happy. You wouldn't want me to not be happy. God, I can't have this illness. And we squander. And we wrongly mourn. When in reality, he's called us, man, you use this that I've bought this to give you that don't get lost in this with a perspective of that church far too much of my life i don't trust god's will and i freak out about this i want to stop james is pleading with us to stop we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes We fight for an eternal perspective. This is why your Bible says things like, hey, teach me to number my days. Because we fight to live for eternity. Not for this. And when we do that, what are we doing? We are trusting God's will. We embrace the moments. I can realize what I honestly do believe. New heavens, new earth, glorified camping is going to totally trump the best version of my glamping. Y'all get what I'm talking about? I'm gonna live for that. Does it mean I can't plan this? No. But it means every plan I hold loose. I plan, he establishes. We trust God's will, not our plans. Let's look again at verse 17. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Sin. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The third reason is we work to trust God's will, not our plan, is, is we got to look at the reality of what happens when we are denying God's will, denying his will. This final verse, the way I love it, it summarizes this small section as well as the entirety of James's book where James has come and he's pled with you and he's pled with me, this awareness of here's what it looks like to walk with Christ, to love Christ, to be a disciple, to follow, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, to look into the law of liberty and to do something with it. And he's saying, knowing this, to neglect it, to not commit to it, is in and of itself to where even as I think back on the whole whole, uh, book of James, kind of categories and high levels of how James this entire time, he's saying, your plans, God's will. Our plans often don't view, as we learn through James 1, trials as a blessing, something to embrace, but God's will does. Our plans often don't view temptations as self-inflicted, deadly, coming from within and leading to sincere death, to where church, kill it, you don't flirt with it. You crucify it. Our plans often don't view obedience as a vital component to the life of a Christian. It's something that leads to life, that he's not some rule giver coming to rip you off. He's come to set us free. Our plans often don't view prejudice, and partiality as that big of a deal. It's a wicked sin that he died for. Our plans often don't view is what we say is really that significant or or consider our words as having the power of life and death and something to be stewarded in every moment and when we miss it, seek forgiveness and when we use it, well, glorify our king. Our plans often don't view God's plan as the wise one. Again, this isn't stuff that we'd say, but we tend to feel it. Where it's, no, no, God, it's, it's really my plan versus the humble heart that comes And says, your will be done. Our plans often don't view submission as what leads to freedom. God's will does. Our plans often don't view humility as something to be aspired to. But God's will does. James is encapsulating everything where he's pleading, trust his will. You've learned and you know, trust his will. Why? Because it's so much Better, the greatest place in life is right in the smack dab of God's will for you, fighting to embrace it in both tragedy and celebration. And so many of us, when Jesus comes and he says, man, you want the abundant life, this goodness, this vitality, this sense of like joy and peacefulness, we don't have it, why? Why? Because we really cling to our plans, it's got to go my way, God. If 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 you were really good, it would go this way. Or God, no, no, I'm sure you will. So therefore, despite what your word says, I'm going to rationalize it like this. And that's why we miss out. In order to live in God's will, you got to trust Him, even if you don't understand. Because when you don't understand, remember that's the sin we drift into. It's the arrogance we talked about at the beginning. It's it's pride. It's thinking that either God will get it wrong or he already has, when in reality, the good, the bad, the ugly, he redeems. Brings good from all. You see, guys, God's will for us, it's not just something that's optional. It's not an option. It's a divine obligation. It's something the soul is tugged on to be and to give way to. And James again pleads with us. Your plans, they're not not in and of themselves sinful. They're just not enough. But what he has for me, for you. Folks, we are called to trust his will. There's nothing wrong with having a plan. But if our assurance comes in the plan, if our comfort, if our sense of control comes in, well, hey, I know here's where it will go. That's when you and I, we go astray. We tend to miss it. We can't presume God's will. We, we can't come and claim, here's what will happen. Or if God was good, none no, no way, man. Job was a righteous man, went through a lot of pain. The disciples, the apostles, righteous men, went through a lot of pain. Jesus Christ, come Thursday night, reflect on God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, yet your will. Church, we don't presume God's will, we trust his will, and then we acknowledge our tendency to wanna deny it. We acknowledge my broken proclivity to almost when my plan goes awry, all of a sudden come up with my plan B, my plan C, my plan D, rather than stop, and just as my wife said, I wonder what God's doing with this. Doesn't mean I can't plan a way out, but as I plan, I'm dependent. I'm not self-assured. I wanna close with this, just as we think through how you and I, our lives are called to be marked by a love and a pursuit. Of God's will. There was a story of a friend of mine by the name of Evan. It, he's, it stood out recently. It's something I've known about. I have the privilege. Evan and his, his fiance Haley, they're set to get married. Walking with them towards that, their faith has grown tremendously over the past year, and it's been a privilege to watch. One of the things that's a part of their wedding for Evan and Haley is there was a shorter engagement. Why? One, just take as long as you need to plan a wedding. That's it. Short and sweet, guys. Trust me, it's going to go better, right? Short and sweet. That's one, there's wisdom. But two, the real reason. Evan's mom, she'd been battling cancer for two and a half years. There's a sense of stability in it, but they did not know how long. So there was a thoughtfulness in, hey, we do not want to drag our feet. How do we continue to do this? Why? His mom might be a part of the ceremony. All throughout this time, Evan's walked with his mom, Haley, the whole family's come around. When you hear Evan even describe all this, he talks about how his parents, his mom included, they've even stewarded the difficulty of that so well. While throughout, he, with his mom and with his dad, was continuing to have conversations about what mattered most. You see, Evan's mom and dad, they're followers of Jesus Christ. They want will of God. Did they want tragedy and cancer? No, but they love God. To where Evan, especially in recent months, there'd been this clarity with his mom of I know where I'm going. So when you mourn, and yes, Christians, man, we mourn, but we are not those who mourn without hope. You don't need to mourn my confusion. Celebrate my clarity. My conviction of a king who came down, who died for me, who paid the penalty, who rose from the grave, and all he did was bid me believe, and by faith I did. It changed me. Kids, I sought to be that change imperfectly. No person is perfect, but in pursuit. As they were gearing towards it, his mom went to a doctor's appointment where her breathing continued to get more and more difficult and labored. And it was there at a doctor's appointment before people wanted, before people expected. There was a notice of there's, there's, not, there's nothing more we can do. To where hospice was brought in. The hospice came in and they met with the family and they said, hey, we really think there's weeks and months and we think we can really help. Family came, there; they were with the mom beside the bedside. They spent a the time, they read scripture together. And Evan was with her hoping for months leading up to this. The next day, mom passed. You don't need to wonder where she went. You, you don't need to grieve where she is. Do you grieve the pain with the family? Yes, but she now knows a place where there is no labored breathing where there's a joy in the embrace of a king whose will she sought, she's trusted, and as she told her kids before she went, when you remember me, my legacy, I want it to be a legacy of faith. That is how you steward your mist. You want to be a faithful example in the end, you fight to live as one throughout Having hearing this from his mom, his own faith having grown in the Holy Spirit within him, he gets up as well as other members of his family at his mother's celebration of life. It was the first time he never publicly told people about her hope. And because of that, his hope. The redemptive truth of what Jesus Christ can do. Why? Because he'd seen his mom in the good and the bad throughout the entirety of life, trusting and fighting for belief in God's will, even when the plan doesn't go well, not presuming on tomorrow, but saying, you're good. You love me. I could remember this past week, I called Evan, because when I came to this text, man, my heart just stuck at that reality. And I called him. The first thing I said is, man, I'm, I'm I don't ever wanna take advantage of pain, make it too soon, what do you think? Would it be all right if I shared? It's just what came. I'll never forget this phone call. Hands down, one of the best phone calls I've gotten. And there was this immediate heartbeat, no way, man, you gotta tell him about my mom. You gotta tell him about my mom's faith. You gotta tell him about my mom's legacy. And then this young man emboldened by his mother coming and saying, I want to tell more people. I have been telling more people and there's humility in saying, "And I want to learn how to tell them better." Church. your life is meant for that legacy, a legacy that clings to God's will and doesn't trust on our plans. Do we mourn the loss of a mother far too soon than what any of us would want? Absolutely. But in remembrance do we respond by saying, "That's the legacy. That is the plan. That's the path that I want. Yes. Join me as we pray that we would do that. Father, I thank you for my friends, the legacy, the faithfulness of, of Nancy and everything you've done in that family. May you continue, God. May that be true in my life. May I live dependent on your will, God. I know, man, when things turn, I don't like it. May I die to my plans and trust yours. I thank you for friends and what you're doing there. Father, would you give us a faithfulness to go? A faith, even as we charge now into, into Passion Week and everything that comes from that, reflecting on the difficulty of Good Friday when our plans don't go our way, but there's always Sunday coming. I thank you for redemption and the truth of the resurrection. I'd ask you, bless us all in this. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, guys, thank y'all for joining us. If you want to hang out with us on Good Friday, we'll be here at noon, and then Easter services at our regular time. But between now and then, man, y'all go. Have a great week of worship. See you next week.